Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Apollo Audio Podcast with me, Billy Hills, with also... Miles Mitchell and and it's me Martin Lumsden yay Martin I, gave my, I can't believe I just gave myself a cheer <laughs> I feel now I feel really awkward <laughs> welcome to the Apollo Audio Podcast hello boys how are you good good week good to good have week. you back again this is the Apollo Audio Podcast we are here live at Apollo Audio in Hartford Woo. Uh, we are covering the 500 best albums of all time from Rolling Stone uh, shall we acknowledge uh, events of the weekend uh, mainly the uh, um, sad death of Taylor Hawkins. Oh yeah, yeah on uh, Saturday morning. Um, I think we should kind of say something about that because I guess Foo Fighters certainly. I, I don't know about emails. I'm sorry, I just don't know. But I, I'm guessing for me and Billy, definitely that's kind of a big deal. No, it was for me too. Yeah, I was really, really shocked. Great guy, great drummer. Yeah, mm. real, really sad. Drum for Alanis Morissette as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where he started. Yeah. Um, yeah, how, big, how big old was he? How old? 50. No way, is it? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, bizarrely, I just, I'd literally just finished uh, reading Dave Grohl's uh, book, Storytelling. Oh, yeah, on, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it. yeah. I'd finished it Friday morning. So, like, literally just read the end of that, saying how much, you know, Taylor Hawkins had meant to him, yeah. like, his friend for life, sort yeah. of, you know, brother from another mother, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, then the, and then heard the morning in the news, I was like, did, that, did I just hear that? That's crazy. Uh, mad. So, yeah, really sad. I mean, amazing um, response from sort of the you know, music, music community and beyond just kind of shows not, was everywhere, not, it? not yeah. just his respect yeah. as a drummer, but as a person as well. So, yeah. It's I, be, I had that pressure as well when he missed. first came into the band of like Dave Grohl was like known as like the best drummer in the world, wasn't he? And um, he drummed on the first two Foo Fighters albums because they kicked out the drummer because he couldn't keep up with Dave. Yeah. And on the third one, I didn't realise, I thought that was Taylor's album from then on, from the third one, that was his like, first full album. Yeah. But Dave Grohl still drummed on the first half of it. Yeah. And to have that pressure and finally overcome and be yeah. like better than Dave. I think I've seen comments saying, to, to be the drummer in Dave Grohl's band, Yeah, that's quite a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah really sad. Colour and Shape's one of my favourite albums. It's uh, the first, actually, I think the first one that Taylor Hawkins was on is the one that's their, still their biggest selling album, uh, the third one, which was called... There's Nothing Left to Lose. There's Nothing Left to Lose. Is that their biggest selling album? I think that's still their biggest selling one. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I believe so, yes. Anyway, shall we crack on? We had, from 1971, David Bowie and Hunky Dory, and from 1991, A Tribe Called Quest, The Low End Theory. Have we done two top 100 albums in the same episode before i'm not sure i'm not done. sure we have no um, no i'm not sure, thought, I'm not sure yeah, we've done two yeah, top 100 in the same episode here we go let's yeah. go. so we're in so if we were doing a top 100 podcast <laughs> this would work very well uh what's coming next but we've got yeah. four, we've got uh, yeah we've, we've still got a long way to go guys a long way to go uh so as is traditional we will start <laughs> with the album which was lower down on the list just don't uh which was at number 88 david bowie and hunky dory the anticipation is killing me, especially to hear what Miles has to say about <laughs> knowing his history with David Bowie. Anyway, right. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine. This was released on the 17th December 1971. Rolling Stone magazine's comment on this in their um, list was David Bowie, then 24, 
uh, arrived at the Hunky Dory cover shoot with a book of photographs of Marlena Dietrich, a perfect metaphor for this album's visionary blend of gay camp, flashy rock guitar and saloon piano balladry. Bowie marked the polar ends of his artistic ambitions with tribute songs to Bob Dylan and Andy Warhol. And in Oh You Pretty Things, Quicksand and Changes, he invented and perfected a new style of rock and roll glamour. On Life on Mars, he sings to all the weirdos like himself who feel like aliens on Earth. Soon, an entire army of kids would attempt to remake themselves in his spangled image, proving his point. This is David Bowie's fourth studio album and is the third of five entries on the Rolling Stone list. Uh, Co-produced with Ken Scott, who had engineered his previous two records, but this was his first production credit. Ken Scott done quite a bit of work with the Beatles prior to that, I think, at Abbey Road. Or maybe it tried... Anyway, he'd worked with the Beatles prior to that, I think. Um, Despite positive reviews from the British and American music press, this album initially sold poorly and failed to chart. But within the context of his career, is considered to be the album where Bowie starts to become Bowie, definitively discovering his voice and style. This was previously number 107, number 108 on the previous two versions of this list and is now number 88. We've had this with a lot of albums about how they sell back in the day on yeah. Vince Starts Anywhere. It's such a shame we can't, music these this in our day can't be measured like that anymore mm. because that really shows how, and I'm not just saying if it was sold badly, but if it sold well, any album mm. now, this is a wider context point, that really shows how that album was perceived because mm. now it's all done on streams. But, you know, a stream is so, you can just give, it, give a song a stream, but that goes towards someone's numbers. But yeah. to actually go out and buy an album or to buy a single... Mm let's say album, keep it on topic, that really shows um, intent from the listener. And so you can really yeah. measure mm. how successful that music mm. is against others in a chart format. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It's a much bigger commitment. It's a bigger commitment. And therefore, it's almost when you always say how it's sold, I, I, t- I always take that more seriously than I do now. Because yeah. we just know that, sorry, and this is no disrespect to any big they artists, but equivalent. you know like Adele is going to be on all the... Big Spotify playlist, so she's going to get massive numbers. Bruno Mars, all the top yeah. artists. Adele's probably not the best example because she does sell a lot of physical albums as well. But uh, okay. I but absolutely appreciate what you're saying because there's got this equivalence yeah. in terms of number of streams. Like an, uh, an X number of streams is equivalent to one sale. Which, but in, interestingly <laughs> enough, recently you've had some odd examples of bands that have hit the number one on the album chart because of physical sales, because of that equivalence. So even though they're selling low numbers, like Don Brocco from Up yeah. Bedford yeah, yeah. Way. Uh, got a number one album at the end of last year or the beginning of this year, I think it was. And that was basically partly to do with the fact that their vinyl album sale release was delayed because of production problems and then all went out in one week. But because they still treat physical album sales as much more than streaming sales, right? They do, their okay. album went to number one. That's bad, oh, that's interesting. So there's still an element of that. If you, if you sell that physical copy, it still goes up. But, but you, you see you what will, I mean? But yeah, no, absolutely. Like, You'll still have people like like the Ed Sheerans and the Taylor Swifts and all that bit who are going to have number one albums just because people are going to stream it straight away. It doesn't mean they'll actually go and spend their money on buying a copy right. necessarily. So yeah. then it really shows how much someone likes mm, that album. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but anyway, but yeah, so that, so that was an interesting thing. Oh, um, I think it's a very good point to bear in mind when we're talking about particularly sort of pre-streaming age albums. 1971, to give us a little bit of context because we are going what is that 51 years ago now bloody hell uh, the number one movie was diamonds are forever the uh, bond movie the number one album was electric warrior by t-rex and the number one single do you guys know who benny hill is yeah right he had the number one single in december 1971 was he a comedian? yeah 
yeah. yeah. Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West. <laughs> and if you've never heard it, listeners, go and check it out. If you've, you know. never, if you've never heard Ernie, the fastest milkman in the West. John Lennon and Yoko Ono released Happy Christmas War is Over on December the 1st. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's film A Clockwork Orange based on the book by Anthony Burgess, was released on December the 19th. Great and film. on December the 28th, Ajax forward Johan Cruyff won the award for best European footballer player, Ballon d'Or. I'm not very good at French, am I? Sorry. Ahead of Inter Milan forward Sandro Mazzola and Manchester United winger George Best. Wow, still the only player to have his own move at the Cruyff turn. 1971. I still called it the old, like to this day, still call it the Cruyff turn. The Cruyff turn. They? So that was 1971. I think compared to... Who wants to, to go first? Yeah, go on, guys. Go for it. Go for it. Dory. Compared to Lowe, I thought this album was like, this is like Bowie. This is the, like the Bowie. Yeah. I, I, not that I know too much of him, but... In fact, I couldn't believe how many songs on this album I actually knew. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just that the guitar part. Um, yeah, just some... Yeah, just great melodies, his experiment, little stuff I liked. And yeah, it was, it was definitely a lot more accessible than Low, and I think it was more instantly catchy. And uh, yeah, great album. So did you not yeah. heard this before as an album? No, right. never. I, I think I knew about half the tracks on it. Yeah. And I really liked. Let me get the track list up. Go on, Miles. You talk while I get the track list up. <laughs> I'm with. I'm with. With. With the drum roll for everyone. I'm yeah. just yeah, so yeah, yeah. excited here. What I think. I hate Bowie. Yeah, 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 on yeah. Episode I, one. I. Um, <laughs> I agree with Billy completely. Uh, way better. I never listened to the album as a whole, but knew a lot of the songs. Uh, actually, liked the song "Changes," which opened up. And I thought, okay, yeah. we're we're on this era of Bowie. Because yeah. um, I couldn't have told you what album that was from because no. I'm not a, I'm a fan. And then. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was just. A re- I thought it was probably one of the worst songs I've ever heard on the album. Uh, <laughs> what uh, was it? It sounded like a musical. It was called "Fill Your Heart," um, and it was really bad. I just was like, "How's anyway?" But you know, it just said, "Yeah." It sounded like it was like from a seventies musical, and okay. I just thought. But then it came back, and but then. Um, the Andy Warhol song I quite enjoyed and then Queen Bitch and then obviously there's some yeah. good songs towards the end and I thought, yeah, yeah, it's actually, I, I completely agree with what you said, Billy. There were so many songs on there. I was like, oh, this one. This, yeah. They're on so many films. Yeah. They're, they're, they're on, you know, and I just thought, yeah, when I think of Bowie, I think of this sound, this yeah. album. So way better than Low. What year was Low? Low was 77, I think. Right. Is so this the first time he sounds more like this? Yeah, I think it said even said in the uh, in the in some of the um, I think the Rolling Stone review there and some other places as well said this is this is the t- the first time that Bowie sounded like Bowie. Mm. It's his fourth album, but three albums prior to this hadn't been particularly successful. Although there are some well-known you know, Space Oddity was a a big hit. Um, when Ziggy Stardust was used initially Ziggy, Ziggy Stardust is actually less than a year after this a lot of the songs were written at the same time so th- would you say this was his breakthrough though well into the mainstream Ziggy Stardust was really the breakthrough but what happened because they were kind of within a 12 month period Ziggy Stardust was the one that really hit but because they were so within each other you basically had a lot of crossover in terms of this album started selling a lot because Ziggy Stardust had broken through right and the people are on, you're only going back sort of nine months to songs that are written around the same time and I think they even re-released Life on Mars as a single after the um, Ziggy Stardust album comes out right okay so that is, you can kind of combine the two if you like to a, to a degree okay speechless it was better but I'll tell you, my final point on it and Billy I don't know if you agree I, I know Martin kind of 
feels differently, but it, there's something about Bowie's voice and the way that he sort of navigates his way through songs that I don't know if everything's a bit too enunciated for me. I know that sounds, mm. that should be a good and thing. that is his style it's though. It's his style it, and it, it's just, it's just separates never, him from yeah. everyone else, isn't it? And I could actually really appreciate the songs, the production, but I don't think I'll ever get like, but I suppose that's not him. I was going to say something that makes me sound like a bit of an idiot to people. I was going to say, I don't ever get the chills from, his, from him singing, mm. but mm. that's not him, is it? That's mm. not him. It's more lyrical content and mm. how he phrases things. And do you know what I, I mean? I get it. He's get grown that? on me more. Is it? Yeah. It's almost like put on, like that musical one. It was like, his voice yeah. was almost put yeah, on. Yeah. Um, it was like over my, you know, but I can't even do an impression, but it was like, mm. everything was over and now it's, yeah. And like, like a musical, like theatre. I think it's people, yeah, people theatre musical. Though. I mean, there's, there, it definitely comes from that sort of tradition. One of his sort of big influences was a guy called Anthony Newley. And I think if you kind of listen to Anthony Newley stuff, you'll go, oh, right, no. I see where he's getting that from. Oh, okay. And some of it does come from that sort of musical tradition, the way that he's the, the way he's performing. I think the interesting thing that you said that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of until you said it, I think it is hard to get a lot of emotional warmth from Boy. I'm trying to think of something that's... act. He's, that it, the, although the songs are really good, it's hard to think of anything as sort of a love song, if you, if you know what I mean, mm. or something that gives you that real emotional warmth. There's a, there's a, a sense of distance and a sense of chill, perhaps, or coldness. Yeah, uh, within the songs, I wouldn't necessarily have thought of myself until you said it. I said, "Yeah, you're right." I don't, even though I love this stuff, an actual sort of human. There's a there's a lack of what you might get from some other artists, and the sort of I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've 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 lost the way of saying it. But, <laughs> no, no, um, I think it's a really good point. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a point. Well, you, you made the point. So. Yeah, it's excellent. Well, well, well done, you. Is well so well is done, it, everyone. <laughs> so, got, what about you then, Mars? Is this your favourite Al- Bowie album then? Well, I don't know if it's my if it's my favorite Bowie album. You've been listening to this pre this came up, pre that this came up. I realized as I was listening back to this that I I was and I thought how can I really honestly comment on this because of its absolute familiarity. Right. Like, you know, knowing that there are songs on this that that are on Bowie greatest hits albums, like you said it's kind of shown across TV shows. Any any time you've got a kind of I don't know, a Bowie retrospective or a documentary, you're going to hear songs from this album. Mm. Plus, I've heard this album a lot. I probably heard this album for the first time 35 years ago, maybe more. Um and as I was listening to it, I thought, god, this might be an album certainly in terms of albums we've covered on this list so far. This is the album I've probably heard the most. Oh, wow. Probably. Maybe something like Coldplay might push it a little bit, but I just know this album's been around for so long and it was in my house. I think my sister had it rather than me. can't remember. Um, but, you know, it's been played. Been you on come tapes, back to it recently? Been on compilations. I think I mentioned last, last when this came up, since we did Low, and I think perhaps because around about the time that we did that, we were talking about Bowie, we were talking about Low. It was also, I think, around the anniversary of his death. So all around that period, there's a whole lot of Bowie stuff was even, you know, there was documentaries on the TV and all that a bit. Um, I've just, yeah, I've kind of immersed myself, it's maybe too strong, but I've started listening to a lot of stuff about Bowie, not necessarily just songs, but just about you know, documentaries and watch stuff and read stuff. Uh, yeah, so I've kind of become, a, oh yeah, I remember David Bowie, <laughs> quite like that. And listening to this, definitely, sorry, your question, Miles, was this, is this my favourite Bowie album? I'm not sure about that, and I'm interested that this is, of the five albums that are on the Rolling Stone list, this is the one sort of slap in the middle. 
and we've listened to Low already, which I had never heard before. Um, and Station to Station is the one above this one, which I've never heard before, which is from that same period as well. well what, how, what, what year is that? Uh, that's that sort of Berlin period as well. So that's about 76, 77, 78, something like that. Right. Um, around about that period. So that's sort of Low Station to Station and uh, The Lodger... What's the big hit off Stage to Stage? Oh, and Heroes. Right. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't know that album at all. I don't know. Oh, is, right. it, is Ziggy the highest one? So Ziggy Stardust is the highest one, yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I thought you said this, that's what I was asking. I thought you said Stage to Stage was the highest. No, it's higher oh, than sorry. this one. Yeah, not Gee, that again. This yeah, yeah, yeah. Chart number thing. <laughs> 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 sorry. That's you don't know go what's there. going on, Let's eh? not go there. No. So there's two. There's, so there's okay, two guys. sorry. So, so I don't, and Station to Station, I've never heard. Ziggy Stardust, I have heard a lot. So, yeah, favourite album, I don't know. What famil- Most familiar, this and Ziggy Stardust, definitely. Other albums by David Bowie, I don't really know. So I'm thinking, if I think of David Bowie and do I like David Bowie, it's definitely this era. It's definitely yeah, yeah. this period. It's definitely these things. There are other songs that I know really well. Young Americans, you know, later on, Let's Dance and all that kind of stuff. You know those songs. But they're like, okay, I like those David Bowie's songs, but these are the ones that I really get. This is the period that kind of go, oh yeah, that's made it. Epitomizes it epitomises the sound. Of Did he always make albums it. up until he died? Was there ever like a period where he stopped? No, he's, he, he almost uh, retired completely for about... Um, 10 years or more, I think, from sort of 91 to sort of mid-2000s. He didn't do very much, kind of uh, quit and went into doing sort of painting and being a father, actually, because he had a a daughter, I think, sort of 90s. He had a heart attack as well, just just after coming off stage. Um, I think it was sort of early 90s. He had a heart attack. I I might have got my dates wrong. It might have been um, early thousands. But at some point, it was like he had, it was, he'd done a gig, come off stage, had a heart attack, and, uh, and basically retired from music until uh, I think he released an album called The Next Day, which was in around about 2014, something like 2013, 14. So he'd had a long break mm. um, at one point, yeah. I mean, he is a, he is a cult hero, isn't yeah. he? Like, yeah. like, like, he is. Actually, doesn't cult mean that you're fairly niche? No, so I think I think you're right, but I think it's kind of interesting that I always thought there was a period of going, oh yeah, Bowie never really had a sort of a big commercial success until Let's Dance, which to a degree is true, but it's also really not true. Well, he was, yeah, like, he was, was always a well-known yeah, major yeah, yeah. star throughout the 70s. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of... Um, Stuff that's analogous, I think, with Princey, with Prince, Princey. <laughs> I was going to say with Princey's career, and that just came out with Princey. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities with Princey. That's what that's what I call him. <laughs> lost the, I've lost the plot. Um, but that 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 sort yeah. of iconic yeah. um, status, uh, uh, and uh, I think also similarities that this is, like I said, Bowie's fourth album. Um, so that period, maybe a sort of ten years apart, but you think about like Prince starts. He's got he's got these albums that are you know, okay. People know who Prince is, but he's not a big success. And then you get into the sort of fourth fifth album when you're getting into 1999, yeah, Purple Rain, Purple Rain. and then oh, yeah. from then on, you've got that status as a music icon, yeah. for a period of ten fifteen years, yeah. And then you go into the okay, we really respect this guy as a musician, but the stuff he's making isn't quite as popular as it was before. Mm. And I feel like there's quite a lot of similarities in terms of career trajectory between the yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think may, I th- maybe I'm making that. No, no, that's fit, a good point. And I think I they think have that middle rise, which then, in turn, uh, promotes their previous music. Yeah, yeah. That maybe, maybe yeah. 
not slipped under the, the, yeah. the, the but but sort of did wasn't as commercial and then people go back oh he's an icon now and they go well that first album is even better yeah and yeah. it even you know go it comes and listen to it goes back it. exactly yeah so um you yeah. know for all we know there's art current artists at the moment who have actually had albums in the sort of you know 10 years ago whatever yeah, yeah. that work didn't do so well now maybe they'll get bigger and we'll look back so yeah. it's yeah it's an interesting comparison because i think prince prince was the same yeah um yeah, I mean, I, I prefer all the Prince Prince early stuff. I don't think I prefer, but yeah, I, I but but you're right. W- would it be did did I need to hear the Purple Rains in the 1999s to then go back to hear the I Want to Be Your Lovers from 1978 yeah. or whatever? So it's an interesting point. Very good reviews at the time. So even though initially it wasn't a huge commercial success, Melody Maker said it was the most inventive piece of songwriting to have appeared on record in a considerable time. The NME said it was Bowie is brilliant best. And also added that this album is a breath of fresh air compared to the usual mainstream rock albums. It's very possible this will be the most important album from an emerging artist in 1972 because he's not following trends, he's setting them. So, kind of prescient uh, stuff from the NME there. Well done, well done. Anyway. <laughs> That's an amazing line. It's almost um, as that about you, isn't it? <laughs> uh, very good. So yeah, I, I said, that, that as far as myself is concerned, I had to kind of just acknowledge that I'm really familiar with this album but familiarity certainly hasn't created any contempt. I was like, yeah, do you know what? I just really like this. Mm. <laughs> this is like really good. Oh, you're saying it did do that? No, it's like, this is really good. Oh, right, yeah, oh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. I know it so well. Yeah. And yeah, yeah it's good, yeah. I think, and I, honestly, I was thinking, do you know there's albums that I really like, but actually sometimes you just go, not in the mood. Yeah. yeah. And I was thinking about this album, I was thinking, I'm not sure that that's ever really going to be true. I think I could pretty much put this on any time. Yeah, I wouldn't go, good. oh, I'm not in the mood. I think yeah. it'd just be like, any time I hear this, i go, yeah, that's cool, isn't it? That's mm. good. I think I mentioned this because I was listening to this documentary before, Life on Mars. To me, there's a couple of things I wanted to say about that track particularly. I think the transitions in that song are amazing. Mm. They build to the chorus, and then when the chorus kicks in, it's just like, mm. that yeah, is big. Yeah. something else. Yeah, That's really good writing. Um, but also, I was kind of noting the strain to hit the notes yeah. that he's doing on his vocals. Mm. He's doing like an octave yeah, lift. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, you're just about there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't really noticed that until recently when I was listening to it a bit more closely, maybe. And God, God. and uh, Ken Scott said since that it was very common for him just to do one or two takes on uh, vocals. Really? That he would just go, done. Fair play. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and he was saying there was never any need to do more because he'd done it, mm. basically. I thought that was fascinating in terms of, you know, what we expect nowadays in terms of multiple takes and pitch corrections and all yeah, that kind of bit. There's yeah. an element within there. It was like, that's not perfect, but it doesn't matter. Even though maybe, really maybe, maybe that's it, why it's never made you cry, uh, Mars. <laughs> <laughs> what would it sound like? Not um, little. Uh, I don't know if you know if you knew this trivia. The uh, piano on um, maybe people know this trivia already. The piano was played by Rick Makeman. Rick Makeman. Rick Wakeman, uh, who went on to be in uh, Yes. Ah. The band, but was a, an old school friend, I think, of uh, David Bowie actually. Uh, but he played the piano on Life on Mars, and that piano was the same piano it in was our studio. In Trident Studios. It was also used. Uh, do you know this? Do you know this trivia? No, I was going to say it's in our studio, so people come. So here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, nobody knows where it is now, so we could actually. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah the one that's in come here. See yeah, it. it's been a bit remodelled. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, apparently no one knows where it is now. But that piano was uh, from Trident Studios. It was also used by Paul McCartney on Hey Jude. Well, same piano, and also by Queen on Bohemian Rhapsody. 
Wow. That's insane. So that's a piano that that's piano done some just, work. Yeah. That must be in a frame <laughs> on someone's wall. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, quite amazing. That, that's the same piano. Uh, anyway, there you go. And uh, yeah, the Andy Warhol, we, we were talking about studio outtakes and t- like little bits of, mm. you know, stuff going on in the background. Did you spot like, oh, like the, the, the background in the back on yeah. Andy Warhol? Yeah. Like, this is Andy Warhol. Yeah, say yeah, it yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, no, you've said it. It's Andy Warhol. Yeah, as yeah, in yeah. Hole, as in holes. And that's all like, it's all supposed to be like, and there's clapping at the end. Yeah, it's all yeah, supposed yeah, to be yeah. quite it's, casual, it's, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that's that's not faked. I don't think. No. I think that's actually. Kind I love of that when I do in that. the studio mm-hmm. and, they've, and they've pulled it onto that works it's within the context yeah. of it. Yeah, <laughs> you feel like you're in the room with them. Mm. Yeah. No, I just thought it's just really good songs on this really good album. Um, I don't know what else to say apart from <laughs> well done. Dave boy <laughs> you were quite good weren't you uh, yeah okay so we should we should score shouldn't we chaps we should do that he's going first that's the thing to do honky dory go on Miles. you go boy you go first you, you go first I'll give a solid four uh, I'm a minority because I genuinely would give this a four but purely b- b- <laughs> but I hate it but purely because I just got to be honest with my artists and vocals that voices and things that I generally feel akin to or not, I'm going to go with a three. But I definitely think if you like this thing, this is David Bowie. Like if you had to, if I had to go on to, uh, not that I'm uh, as good as this as a musician, but if you said to me, right, you've got 20 minutes, make a David Bowie track. I would try and make it sound like this album. Mm. Like this is the David Bowie sound for me. Mm. So yeah. So number three for me. Would you prefer like an instrumental version of these songs? No, it's not that I hate his voice, but I think Martin's something that's just not the warmth there. I've been listening to a lot of George and Michael do, last under, week and it's I just do like chalk and cheese. I do get that there's an element of the of the vocal in that, that if you just, if you just, if you don't like it, yeah. you, you're not going to like it. There's nothing you can do to change that because it's David Bowie. Yeah. And if you're like, I don't like his voice, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's going to, I don't like the way he sings. All right, that's the way he sings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hundred percent. I don't know what to do about that. Uh, it's absolute five for me. I got. I don't. Oh, I can't. I can't absolute I can't, five. Oh yeah. I can't. That's like because, a six. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I just. I, I'd had to think about. You know what? What, what constitutes a five star? But would this be in my top ten albums of all time? Probably not. Don't think so. Mm. Would it be in my top fifty? I think it probably would edge in there. Would it be in my top hundred? I'm pretty sure it would be. Pretty sure. Because I can't. I can't think. So you're giving out fives quite easily. I'm going to give fives to like maybe they're my top ten. Well, I mean, I'm also sort of bearing in mind that it, you know, all of these things are real in, in terms of even if I gave all of these albums a top five, I still have preferences in terms of the five. So yeah, I'm thinking yeah, yeah. like, is this a great album? Not just do I like it, but is it a great album? Is it a five star album sort of thing? And I can't, I'm I think, thinking, yeah. I can't really fault it that much as an album, which is why it's a five for me. It's not just necessarily, I love this. But it's like well, you can't not have this. It's quite right. It's in the top hundred. It should yeah, be in the definitely. top hundred. It would be in my top hundred without a without a doubt. So it's a five. What's that then? Five, twelve, nine, twelve. Where's that that's rank? Good. Twelve. Where's that rank in the scheme? Of that's, a, that's a good. That's a good rank. Punky Dory, I think, in general, gets a positive response from us. Um, and uh, yeah, we, David Bowie will definitely be back. There are three more albums from David Bowie for for us to cover at some point in this long journey. Okay, well done. (laughs) Album number two on the podcast this week is The Low End Theory. 
by a tribe called Quest from 24th of September 1991. Other people connected the dots between hip-hop and jazz, but a tribe called Quest's second album drew the entire picture. The sound dominated by the low end of the title. They even recruited legendary jazz bassist Ron Carter, who'd worked with Thelonious Monk and Miles Davis. As Carter gets dope on the double bass, the tribe discourse on matters ranging from the music industry, show business to sexual politics. Every time Q-Tip rhymes over Carter's bass lines, the groove just gets deeper, said Rolling Stone. This was their second studio album, is the higher of two entries on the Rolling Stone list. It debuted at number 45 on the Billboard 200 chart, Upon its release, the album's commercial potential was doubted by music critics and uh, record company executives. However, the release of two singles, Jazz, We've Got, and Scenario, brought further attention and popularity to the group. It has since garnered recognition from music critics and writers as a milestone in alternative hip-hop. One of the first records to fuse hip-hop with laid-back atmospherics of jazz, particularly bebop and hardbop, the album's minimalist sound is stripped to the essentials, vocals, drums and bass, Bass, drums and vocals emphasise the downbeat on every song. Q-Tip credited the production on N.W.A.'s album Straight Outta Compton as inspiration. Mm. Uh, there we go. Um, from September 1991. The number one movie was The Fisher King. The number one album was Use Your Illusion 2 by Guns N' Roses. Use Your Illusion 1 was at number two. I don't know why in that order. They go. released the same year? Was it a double album? That was it, yeah. Well, it wasn't a double album. They released them as two separate albums Definitely. but yeah at the same time though yes uh, and the number one single was Everything I Do I Do It For You by Bran Adams which was in its 14th week at number one wow. well, Everything I don't think it was finished then uh, on September the 5th Nelson Mandela was uh, chosen as president of the African National Congress uh, the name St. Petersburg was restored to Russia's second largest city having been renamed Leningrad in 1924 and, again, somewhat coincidentally and ironically, released on the same day, September 24th, 1991. Never mind. Never mind. By oh, a shout. <laughs> released on exactly <laughs> the same day. I say bizarrely. I mean, obviously not a direct connection with Taylor Hawkins, but there yeah. you go. I thought that was somewhat coincidental yeah. Yeah. that we're in that, I don't know, something in the air <laughs> around that. Yeah, not something in the way. That would be a nerve. Yeah. Anyway. Have you seen the new Batman film? Uh, no. That something in the way is like, like that's like the theme throughout. It's great. It's good. Good film. Really, really good, yeah. Uh, so that is, yeah, September 1991. And A Tribe Called Quest, a band I was not uh, familiar with really at all other than Can You Kick It? You know Electric Relaxation as well? Nope. Do you not? Nope. That's what I thought that was going to be on this album. I know that album a bit more familiar than this one. I really like them. They're one of my favourite like rap groups. I was surprised of how much actual like just low end is on this album. How much it is just rap, the bass and the it's, drums. It's so minimal. Yeah. The whole album, yeah, and I do prefer the tracks where they have got that. Well, I've got the name of the track now. Samples, yeah, the like funky. Sax stuff, yeah, yeah, the sax comes in. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, where they've got the like the funky guitar stuff. Uh, with Those uh, verses from the abstract. Yeah, that was um, great. That and mm. I didn't notice it was one of the ones where it comes in quite quietly. Yeah, and then yeah, it, like yeah, really yeah, gets yeah, stuck yeah. in your head. Um. They were the tracks that stuck out for me. The one with more, I know. I suppose I suppose I appreciate more because of the the more minimalist stuff, and I still do think they work. I think there's just a, quite a few tracks like that on the album. The majority were just those like three elements. Mm. Um, but you can tell it's such a step up from when was that um, Eric B album eighty uh, seven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric B. Four, years, yeah four years and later, yeah. the like. I don't know like the growth of like rap in that period mm. so much. Yeah. 
and their actual their flows are so. I know I suppose it's opinion, but it's like better in my opinions. I didn't realize they were like the first people to infuse like that jazz sort of element to rap, mm. more laid backness because that's so massive nowadays, especially with sampling, mm. isn't it? And were they sampled? Are they actually they're playing yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot of samples on on here. Definitely samples, yeah. uh, but they've played in. Uh, stuff as well. I really like the double bass. I was like actually yeah. listening to someone playing an actual double yeah, bass yeah. on this was like, no, it's cool. But again, yeah. I don't know whether that was a sample or not. I did read that um, this was uh, the, with the samples that they used on this. They, they, they sort of worked the samples a little bit more rather yeah. than just playing them in. Yeah. So they were kind of layering stuff on top of each other yeah. using different samples, and they would, I, I believe. The producer was actually tidying up a lot. That was taking out sort of clicks and pops and stuff oh, like nice. that to kind of tidy up the sounds. It don't know what he was using to do it because they said this before the like software yeah, that we yeah. use nowadays to to treat stuff. That'd be hard. Yeah, you can take it? out the sound. Whatever he was yeah. doing to try and do that, but that was that was part of his process. That's why uh, I love this like the era of rap. As well. Like it's my favorite in the nineties because so much more was actually like, played in than nowadays. You've got actual real instrumentation mm. there, like the dub bass player mm. and the drummer. Yeah, we enjoyed it. What do you reckon? I completely agree. I um, I thought, and it was funny because I said the same point last week about the, the, the cocktail twins, about being cocktail twins. Sorry, about being. I thought it sounded eighties and nineties, and being the bridge. Mm. Well, I don't actually think this sound the two eighties, but like you said, Bill, it was like the transition between that sort of Eric B and, Rake- and Rakeem and Della Soul. Mm sort of vibe with I think someone I read that someone's like that you know lyrically it's a bit more like playful and, and, and sort of mystical and, mm, and, yeah. and this actually took rap to where we know it now yeah and bridge the gap and, and there, there could have been other artists or groups doing it but I really got the sense of like this is stepped up from the 80s from that sort of which I do did like those those 80s raps but it's, it's almost we were saying it's almost quite um it's a different sort of style. Yeah. Like the flow of the rap is different stuff. Yeah, with the beam and the, yeah. you know, the way they sort of do it all is different. Mm. This was a bit more what I know from like, grew up on sort of the Dr. Dre's and the Jay-Z's mm. and the M&M's mm. and things. And I suppose this was like bridged the gap and, and had little reference to that sort of 80s style, but then moved rap to, 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 like I say, to where we know it now. Um, I thought it was incredibly minimal. Like some, the bass is really quiet. I don't know if it's just my monitors or my headphones, but the bass was really quiet even on some. So sometimes I was like, is this just literally the drum groove and the rap? Mm, but, I've kind of blown it then. If it's called the low end theory, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to blame your headphones. Man. Yeah, maybe. But, but um, I don't, it wasn't like pumping bass. But my point is, is that they want the rap, the, the vocal or the top line, the melody mm. of the rap to be prominent. And I think it was. And you actually dial in more to what they're talking about lyrically and because there's not other distractions, I do take your point mm. that, you know, as musicians, we do like the instrumental bits and that song was probably my favourite. Mm. And I think jazz was great as and well. And jazz was great yeah. as well. There's a, with a bit more going on, mm. but um, I thought it was great. And I thought the rapping vocal, just overall sort of vocal and flow and diction, I thought was pretty flawless mm. thought it was amazing mm. I was like wow I could listen to this over and over um, yeah really enjoyed it for, for, if, if, if if you're a fan of rap you need to know this album I think yeah. Def- definitely yep yep I, um, I had it on I was doing something else I thought I'll put, I'll put this on whilst I'm whilst I'm doing something so I can listen to it and I think for some reason, whether there was something else going on in the house or something I had it on quite quiet because I didn't want to disturb anyone so it wasn't like I couldn't hear it but it wasn't like you know, 
maybe a normal, maybe a little bit lower than normal listening volume. And I was like, oh God, it's more of this sort of Eric B. Rakim scratching stuff, isn't it? But I was kind of listening to it. I thought, it's, it's all right. But uh, I then thought, do you know what? I haven't given this a proper listen. I need to listen to it again. Mm. So I gave it a second listen. And uh, I have to say, in comparison to the Eric B. Rakim, which I think I said on this pod, I just couldn't get on with it. So yeah. I, know, I know it's supposed to be good, but for me, eh. I really actually really enjoyed this. I still still can't really say it's my thing. Like listen to a whole album of this was <laughs> a little bit repetitive, maybe uh, too much. All sounds the same to my ear because I can't differentiate as much as I would like to. And I think I said before, I li- I like melodies more than rap. Rap's not just point, really though, been my with thing. Rap albums, it is hot. It, is it harder without melody? to be like less samey with rap albums. Yeah, because all you're then really going on is BPM changes yeah. and potentially then like instrumentation of uh, adding yeah. and, and yeah. things. I know what you mean. Yeah, That's what I struggle with. Uh, to, to the extent that I would say I, I, it was almost, I couldn't really tell the difference from one track to the next sometimes because there's like, you know, go from one track to the next, it's just a yeah. beat and the next track comes in. And it could, to my ear, I'm like, oh, it's a different, is that a different song? Yeah. And I had to kind of check what was going on on the, on the playback album. to go, yeah, yeah, I'm on a different song now. But I'm not, but that's not even a criticism. That's just, I said, that's, I don't know its melodies and that didn't bug me. So the Eric B. Rakim album, Paid in Full, I know it's supposed to be great and all that kind of stuff, but just for me, it was like, I can't listen to it. This one didn't have the same uh, experience at all. I was actually quite enjoying it, whether it's because it's got more than just the scratching beats because it's got more melodic elements in terms of, even if the rap isn't, but what else was going on was more melodic, particularly in the bass. Maybe that's what it was. But uh, yeah, there's bits of it I really enjoyed. Verses from the abstract definitely stood out for me. That was the one that I thought I could I could really hear samples. I could hear the references to other. I could hear where they were picking up stuff yeah. from in the past. Loved the double bass on it. Loved the guitars on it. That was long way by my favourite. I did recognise Check the Rhyme though. Yeah. Or at least bits from Check. The Rhyme. I don't know if that again has that been used elsewhere or were yeah, they using it from right. something else. But that one was like I recognised that. I'm sure I yeah. I'm sure I've heard that before. But yeah, I'd say more so... But the I'm, I'm glad I listened to it again because I was almost prepared to dismiss it having listened to it once mm. and go, like, yeah, it's just something I don't get and listen to it again. Do you know what? Maybe either it's because I'm getting more of an ear for hip-hop or that this is just better. And it is. It's higher up the list, so maybe it's a higher regard. But the tone and album, delivery but. of the vocal is so... Don't, can you hear that? It's, it's so different to the 80s rap stuff we've been listening to in hip-hop. It's like this was a bit more... I, de- sort of- I definitely found the, the flow and the lyrics and the tone much more to my liking. They switch it up I more as well with, rather than uh, being samey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. The, drums are quite, <laughs> the drums are quite similar throughout. And, um, mm. There was actually one song I said, have they, is this the same sample that... I mean, they go for that sort yeah. of live, dusty hip-hop. I do love that sound. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah, me too. But I was, there was one I was like, have they just sped this up? And so yeah. down, it was almost like exactly mm. the same snare sound. But yeah, I mean, th- it's funny about the melodic thing because obviously I love that as well. Because I think well, th- that's always been around. But I think, again, to bring them up again, I think Dre was the start of like, and then artists like P. Diddy where it was like rapping the verses and then, you know, a, a, a big vocal hook. Yeah. They yeah, get yeah. maybe another singer in or, um, you know, that big... One I always think of the 90s, I think it was the first one I heard, was that big um, uh, P. Diddy. Boy, I was puffed at it at the time when he did them. Um, yeah, 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 that's one of that was my like friends. Huge hit, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And then he'd come in for the rap. It was almost like uh, uh, maybe taking that even, like hip hop to an even more 
commercial mm. things and, and, and basically appealing to people who maybe didn't weren't into rap and hip-hop and just basically yeah. giving the vocal hooks as well. Um, but they obviously don't do that in this, and this is just sort of more straight-up hip-hop I don't know if you, you guys are aware. I was speaking to a friend of mine. I, I should maybe get him to make some comment or get him involved in the podcast at some point. He was saying one of the things you've got to know or recognise or one of the things to be aware of is the big difference between East Coast and West Coast rap, especially around that period. It was almost, I don't know if it still is, but it was like a competition. Mm. <laughs> in fact I think it got quite violent at points mm. but there was a big difference between the east coast and west coast and what and what they were doing because these guys were east time. weren't they yeah they were from New and, York and so was Eric Queens. B. Rakim and right. then you've got the you know the, the Dre's and the uh, straight out of Compton and all that uh, NWA yeah that's all west all west coast yeah coast stuff. yeah and uh, I think Biggie Smalls and Tupac and all that are they not west? Biggie's New York and New York. Uh, Tupac's west yeah, yeah. So there was, there was like, there yeah. was a, there was almost like a, a gang thing going on. Well, I think there actually was a gang thing going on, but the actual sty- stylistically they were different as well, which you know, I, I, meaningless to me really because I don't know enough about it. But I didn't. I thought maybe you guys might know a bit more about it. I've heard of that. That there's been a, a east and west. It's just thing, it's but yeah, even the, the actual style. And I didn't actually know stylistically. That's interesting. I'd yeah. like to know what that would, yeah. what I'll, the I'll, difference I'll, would be. I'll, I'll, I'll get I'll get Matt involved. <laughs> get him to Definitely. explain uh, explain all that stuff to us uh, at some point because I thought, oh, that's interesting. I'd, like you said, I'd sort of been aware that there was a thing, yeah. but I didn't. I don't know the context or the history of it. I, I'm pleased <laughs> because I was like, oh, fucking hip hop. <laughs> that I, didn't, that I didn't have that attitude to the, this one on this time whether I'd go back to it or not I don't know uh, James Bernard of Entertainment Weekly commended the group for jazzy sound which perfectly complemented their laid back raspy delivery but was critical of the album's lack of danceable songs calling it the greatest hip hop album that will never quicken my pulse <laughs> is that the uh, point? Dave Eaton of Pop Matters stated that the album is the point where their sound truly came together also describing it as a remarkable experience as aesthetically and emotionally rewarding as any work of music I can think of so yeah number 43 on the list uh, so quite do that as well placed high up Bear in mind that the, the, you know the Eric B and Rakim was sixty something, wasn't it? So the, the sort of hip hop place. There's a lot of hip hop. I think in the that top. feels, in that yeah. sense, it feels right to me that this should be higher because mm. I think it is better. Mm. Whether it's as influential, that that might be a more debatable mm. point. But um, I, I yeah. think what I'm starting to realise in music in general, which based on you know what you're um, exposed to in, with music. There's always been a reference for them to get their sound, right? Mm, yeah. So I was starting to watch a thing on Elton John last night and they were showing all these like 1950s uh, artists I'd never heard of, all in black and white, doing the piano. And I was like, and the voice, I was like, it basically is like Elton John. Mm. And suddenly you're like, not that you get less respect for the artist there, but you're like, oh, that's where he kind of got that. Mm. You, when you look at Elton John, you think, well, that's a unique artist. Yeah. Mm. Then he showed up because he was saying he was talking headshot. He was like, you know, I loved artists like, and I can't remember the names, blah blah. And they'd show these videos of them mm. doing. It, and you're like, <laughs> you've kind of like copied it, you know, mm. like, yeah. and 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 people say a lot about big artists. And I think with this particular album, you think, but and we've said this before on the pod, but I definitely got those, you know, and don't mean to repeat myself, but I definitely got those sort of '90s, early noughties rap vibes from mm. this album. Yeah. You think, well, yeah. that's. When when you start when you first heard like Dre or Jay Z or Snoop Dogg, you're like, whoa, these guys are amazing. These guys are really really fresh and new and innovative with within hip hop. But actually, you can hear when you go back to like these full albums, you think, 
oh, they've got a lot of this from mm. this. And I'm not yeah. saying that's a bad thing. Or, no, or, or, that, but, do you know what I mean? Nothing's created in a vacuum. So uh, whenever we're doing these older artists, it's always like, you know, it might not be our style, some of these artists that we do, Buddy Holly, mm. for example. Mm. But you, I think we, we've always got to consider that actually... Buddy Holly? It's not Buddy Holly. Chuck Berry, sorry. But you've always got to think, well, and I know I kind of referenced this earlier, but you've got to think, well, what... They've actually potentially, you know, formed the sound of a genre that others then have taken from and mm. then become, you know. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, 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 I felt that and, and they've picked it up from somewhere else as well. So yeah, exactly. Whatever, goes, whatever those references Yeah, so are. where does it always start? It goes back and back and back. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think the interesting thing we've had with hip hop, with this, we've kind of had a bit of a evolution. I mean, mm. I suppose we did we did Outcast, which was more of the sort of current. Yeah. We've yeah. kind of had the evolution now, and you mm. can so see okay, they've kind of all taken bits for each other to get to where rap is mm. now yeah. or where hip-hop is now. And I find that quite interesting. I think uh, we mentioned before as well about the kind of, oh, this sounds like cheesy and unoriginal. And then you go, yeah, but they did it first. It's it's like, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Listening to it, it's yeah, hard yeah. to remember that that's where it came exactly. from. Exactly. That was kind of my... Yeah. Uh, even to, yeah. to, to bring up, you know, good old, good old Chuck again, that as much as we found that hard to listen to, I think we said at the time, it's hard to put this in a context of being a 1950s teenager and listening to these tracks coming out Original, once, every, yeah. once every three months. Yeah. I've never heard anything like this. Yeah, before. exactly. Whereas now we've got 60 years of hearing it played over and over and over again and then listening to them all in, the, in one hour. Yeah. Uh, three minute songs that all sound the same. Mm. You just It's very hard to put your mindset in that position and go, can I determine its value unless I try and put it in context as well? Yeah. That's a very good point, yeah. Um, which is a debate that could go on. Because Billy, right, if I said to you, right, you've got to listen to a hip-hop album, you probably won't listen to these ones again. You'd listen to ones, but we wouldn't have those without these. Do you know, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's, no, it's, I'd, I'd, I think I prefer 90s hip-hop to like nowadays ones. I'll probably go back to like one of these sort of era ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it's a really interesting debate in the context of this. These are, these are supposedly the greatest 500 albums of all time. And you could then argue, so well, does it deserve to have its place as one of the greatest just because it was the first? That yeah. doesn't mean yeah. it's the greatest. Is it there because it's the first or because it's, it's the greatest? It's different to most important than the greatest, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, 100%, 100%. And I think that's where that's what I'm encountering on some of these albums. Mm. Going, yeah, I, I know this was maybe formative, but that doesn't mean it's good. Mm. <laughs> it's like, influential still doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. Um, all, that, all that stuff is sort of coming out as we're going through it, which is the... Yeah, the fun of it but so I, I i knew a tribe called quest from a can you kick it that's about it so it's good good mm. to actually listen to an album yeah. and go all right and so sort of nice for me to kind of go i don't hate this thank you because <laughs> you know what'd you rate them on struggling uh three three fair play you will four yeah i'm gonna go four as well mm. i'm gonna go four as well a three a four and a four eleven Pretty good, boys. Pretty good. Is that like mid-table ranking? I'm really, really quick as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no debate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, it is time to select our two albums for next week's show. Billy's got the randomizer. <laughs> really? I've got the list in front of me <laughs> for once. <laughs> I'm actually prepared. Uh, so we can, uh, yeah, we can go for it. Three, three, five. Three, three, five. Well, a major artist that we have not yet had, but probably one of the most influential artists of all time, Bob Dylan. Ah. Uh, is at 325 with The Basement Tapes. Uh, what is The Basement Tapes, I ask myself. The 16th album from Bob Dylan, his second with his backing group, The Band, released on June the 26th, 1975. 
Oh no, there are 24 tracks. Oh, oh Christ. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> are you Bob Dylan fans? No. <laughs> Uh, I don't really know. I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting to figure out whether I am or not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've yet to be said. For years, I would have said absolutely not, and then I started listening to a bit more. I'm going, oh, I'm starting to get it, but yeah, interesting. All right, yeah, Basement Tapes by Bob Dylan is oh. our first album for next week. It's a low one this week, boys. Four seven four. <sighs> oh, high one, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop, skip next week. Stop it. <laughs> four seven four. Well, again, an interesting company from one artist that I know but haven't listened to to an album that I know the name of but I've never listened to and don't know anything about. Uh, Big Star, number one record. The debut album by American rock band Big Star released August 1972. So we're two 70s albums as well. I don't think I've really enjoyed any album from the 70s so far, apart from their minor bollocks. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Well, you liked David Bowie. Oh, yeah, that's true. Just gave it four. That was 1971. Donna Summer? Donna Summer was late 70s, yeah. You liked that? I'll take that back. Can you edit that bit out? (laughs) (laughs) I discovered I really liked the 70s. It's really good. Uh, Yeah, so that's an interesting combination of Bob Dylan and Big Star. That was the Apollo Audio Podcast for this week. Thank you, Miles. Thank you. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. I'll see you next time. Join us again. Cheers, Martin. Uh, Do the like and subscribe thing on the podcast, and we would love to hear from you if you have any comments about the content of the podcast, or the bunch of idiots that are presenting it, or the albums that we've listened to. Uh, (laughs) Please do like us and rate us and all that stuff, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Will you forgive me?